Welcome to a new episode of These Go to Eleven. Let's turn it up. Hey everybody, welcome back to These Go to Eleven, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. This not only helps us to get our content out there, but also helps us to find out what you, our faithful listeners, think. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, actually not joining me as always, this is uh, this is a new one for us, Matt. Uh, joining me today, Matt Smith. Matt, how are you, you doing today? I'm doing well, and you all can thank me for giving you a little respite from, from Brother Gregory. <laughs> but I want you to know, Greg is on vacation right now, and uh, I just want you to have this image. Greg's on the beach, no shirt. And oiled up. Does that not just? I'm just saying. Some that's an image right there. Uh, I I think we just said the podcast right there. Just let just let that stand on its own. And hopefully Greg won't listen to this. But actually, Greg will not. I promise his his kids insist that he keeps his shirt on. So, well, you know that's that's fair. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Matt, it has been a little while. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good good to be back. I uh, feel weird. I'm literally sitting in Greg's chair, so it's like I'm in the seat of the man, the legend, <laughs> the one and only the Gregory man, the myth, Eugene the Dutcher. I'm using his mic in every... I'm even using his headphones. Like, I just... I feel like I feel like I'm great. You're on top of the world. I mean, after the past couple times that you've been with us and we've given you, you know, the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm staring at the microphone that you usually give me. So this is a, quite the upgrade. So I'm feeling special. Nice, nice. Well, Matt, you are joining us today because uh, the month of June, we are talking about uh, the sermons that were preached on Sundays. And, mm-hmm. and we're doing either some kind of offshoot or... Uh, some side topic that maybe didn't have a chance to get fully developed or discussed. Um, and you and I were, were talking in the post, and uh, we've got a couple different directions that we could go with this, um, so we'll see which way we end up taking. Uh, but this past Sunday, you preached and you uh, walked us through Colossians, mm. and you walked us through this idea that Jesus is our headline. He's yeah. he's our main story. Yeah. Um, talk to us about why why you're doing this kind of mini series set while Greg's not here. Yeah, happy to. Uh, well, this is something that he and I um, together kind of were, were thinking through. We wanted to walk the church and all the friends of CFC really through our values, which isn't something we have systematically done. So we weren't going to just take out a values document, and that that wouldn't be very enjoyable. Right. So we thought we'd use the Bible, because <laughs> that just seems like a good idea for what pastors should do. Um, so, uh, and here's the thing, if your values are rooted in Scripture, it should be easy to preach. Yeah. So that's always a good test to see if your values are uh, worth valuing. Right. So that's kind of what we wanted to do. Over the summer, we, we put together a series we're calling an imprint, 
with kind of a subline, what kind of mark will you make? Mm-hmm. And it's really this idea that if you want to make a mark, you first have to have a mark made on you and your mm-hmm. life. So we're, we're over the summer, we're going to just hit two values, and we're camped out right now in value number one. You mentioned it, uh, that Jesus is our lead story. So um, we've been in, we started it uh, in the book of Colossians, and because um, I think that's just an outstanding book to help us see who is supreme. Yeah. One of the things that you highlighted, and, and you briefly touched and talked on this, was who Paul was specifically preaching to and mm-hmm. some of the the thoughts and the ideology that was going on in that time. Mm-hmm. And I know it's easy for us today as Christians to look around and wish for the quote-unquote good old days. Mm-hmm. And we have this romanticized idea of what the church was like. And it doesn't matter whether it was back in the New Testament or even 60 years ago, right? We can romanticize what the church is like, or maybe we don't. Maybe we've just had complete and total garbage experiences in churches. And that can be tough to look around the landscape of of church environment and get discouraged. But walking through Colossians kind of gives us a different picture of that. Talk, mm. talk to us about why we should have a different picture and and not get discouraged and not give up. Yeah, I am, I, um, and I maybe I'm weird in this way, but one of the things I love to read through Paul's letters, and obviously Peter, James, and John threw some in the mix as well. But we we often refer to Paul because he wrote so many. But when I read the epistles. I not only am hearing instruction, but I am getting an up-close picture of what the early church looked like. And I think sometimes we, we either are just skimming over a lot of verses, but when I read verses, it gives me an insight to the struggle that the early church was having. And I find that really encouraging because it's easy, I think, to look... I don't care what church you're a part of. If you are... If you're really involved in your church, sooner or later the honeymoon phase is going to go and you're going to see reality. Mm. And you're going to realize people are messed up, you're messed up, people offend you, people hurt you, people are hypocritical in what they say, how they live, and you can just kind of get jaded. But when I read the New Testament, when I read Paul's letters in particular, I realize, oh, this was this is always how it's been. People are people. And yet Jesus is at work in fallen people. And I mean, you see that all through the Old Testament as well, but we're just talking about the new at the moment. And I get great encouragement because it helps me to celebrate that God is doing something awesome, but he's doing something awesome through broken people. Yeah. Well, you, um, again, being in in Colossians, you know, looking at uh, Colossians... Uh, chapter 1, and then just right here in verse 3, right? We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And it's so interesting that Paul spends 
a significant portion of the beginning of his letters to his churches, mm. commending them for something. Mm-hmm. There's really, we were talking about this beforehand, there's really one church that he doesn't do yep. that with. Um, yep, Church of Galatia. <laughs> and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's because he's got to get into the meat of the fact that, guys, you don't have the gospel right, so, so yep. we need to course correct there first. Yeah. But these other churches, they seem to have gotten a lot wrong, but mm-hmm. the thing that they seem to have gotten right, which Paul is is ecstatic about, yeah. because this isn't just like, okay, I'm going to throw you a breadcrumb before I rip you apart. I mean, Paul is ecstatic about the fact that they know and understand the gospel and those implications. Yep. Uh, but yeah, there's a whole lot of other stuff that you've got wrong, so we've got we've to deal with that and course correct that. And specifically, when we look at Colossians, what are some of the things that they've seen to have gotten wrong here? Well, I love what you said, because I think Paul always starts off with the one exception being the the book of Galatians. Uh, He has a divine perspective. He sees the church the way God sees the church, which is Christ is in them. He's, through the work of the Holy Spirit, conforming them to the image of Jesus and this is all a work of grace, and uh, that really does set the framework then to address the need to course correct and to bring correction. So I think one of the things that we see in Colossians, and you know, theologians kind of offer a couple of streamlines of things taking place, and you can kind of see it develop throughout the book, but the biggest one was, although they were clear on the gospel, there were influences coming in that were starting to cause people within that church to be confused about who Jesus was. Mm. And is Jesus really God? And if he's really God, then he can't really be a human. And what about the angels and asceticism? And, you know, here's maybe there's other ways to get really spiritual and in touch. And what you have is a church that it's the temptation of every church the drift is away, and the drift is always away from the gospel. Mm. And so what Paul is doing before it gets to a place like Galatians, uh, he is trying to lovingly clarify and be a voice of truth in the midst of confusion. And so, yeah, first, first chapter, he is celebrating, he's commending them, he's letting them know how he's praying for them, and then he gets into verse 15 of chapter 1, and it's time to get on to the topic, which is, let's talk about who Jesus is. He is the preeminent one. Let's clearly define who he is. And uh, and really, the rest of the book is built on that. And I, we were talking about this uh, before we kind of jumped on here. Colossians really is such an underappreciated book in some cases. Um, Mm. I I remember years ago, and I I don't remember exactly how long ago, Greg did preach through the book of Colossians. But it's it's one that I find that um, is just, it's so rich in theology. It's so rich in uh, helping us to understand who Christ is, having an appreciation of who Christ is, Mm -hmm. and really focusing back to Christ being our main story and our headline. And and yet, I, I don't think it tends to get enough press as, like, say, Romans does sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say to uh, somebody out there who's like, okay, why, 
you know, I, I'm trying to find a book to read through. Maybe it's somebody who has uh, never uh, encountered the Bible before, or maybe it's somebody who's been a Christian for years, or maybe it's somebody in between. All three of those categories, because I, th- all, I think all three of them intersect at some point with mm-hmm. why this is a good book to dive into. And I think there are a number of reasons, but, but talk to us about some of the reasons why you think this would be a good book for, for someone to dive into, regardless of where they are in their faith journey. Well, for starters, it's pretty short. <laughs> so let's yeah. just keep it real. Yeah, uh, I know some people, you know, if they see a long book, Genesis or whatever, it's like, whoa, that's a lot of chapters. Um, but Colossians, just four chapters. The layout is um, pretty simple. Uh, kind of classic Paul, where he kind of does his theology on the front side and then starts fleshing that out in the second half of the book. And that's kind of what he does. Once he's trying to tell them about who Jesus is, then he starts giving them real specific things about what they're facing. So he drops into categories of ways that they're maybe being tempted to be led astray from from the from holding Christ supremely. And then he starts fleshing out what it looks like their identity. This is now who you are as the new people, you know, in the in the chapter one he talks about how Christ is the firstborn from the dead. So through the resurrection, there's a new humanity, a new people God is raising up and redeeming. And I love that. I mean, that sounds great, but what does that look like? What does that mean for a stay-home mom, a working mom, a working dad, uh, a teenager, a senior citizen? Um, I think Colossians fleshes that out, but because by the time you get to like the end of chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you're now starting to get into this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like in the home. This is what it looks like when you're battling temptation with sin. Um, and uh, this is what it means to relate to the world that doesn't know Christ. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's a lot of practical things. So if you're looking for something that I think would help you meditate deeply on the supremacy, the preeminence of Christ, and then make it practical, Colossians is a pretty good book to consider. And it's short. Yeah. No, and that, and that's great. And the thing that we see, even for somebody who's just kind of, you know, not really have had that experience with the Bible or with church or with faith, this, again, we would say as Christians that Christ is our main story. Christ is the headline, and this shows us why. This, this puts Christ's credentials forward of uh, why he was chosen to bear the weight of sin, but but why he's also so incredibly qualified to do that. Um, and so really, you know, again, it doesn't matter where you fall. Uh, and, and I love how you said it, and you were just so honest, the, the fact that this is so short, um, you know, four four chapters allows us to And they're to short chapters. Yeah. They're short chapters, people. You can yeah. do it. Yeah, we're not, you know, we're not talking, you know, hundred and some odd verses or whatever. Um, and so it, it's just, it's a great one to just read through and see Paul's heart and his, his earnest honesty when it comes to this church that is that is imperfect, right? And so much of what we find and what we see is what has been going on for centuries that the church is filled with broken people. Yes. Um, 
And I'll tell you one of the, one of the ways before we move on to other other things we want to discuss, but there are different ways I think you can read and study a small book of the Bible, like the book of Colossians. And uh, certainly, I think I always recommend, especially with short books like this, read it in one sitting because mm-hmm. it's a letter. And, if, you know, if I was to write you an email, you wouldn't say, well, I'm going to read the first two sentences and then I'm going to come back to the right. inbox and then right. I'll pick it up. Or I'm going to just do the first paragraph. No, no, you'd read the whole thing. Yeah. Now, you might skim it and say, I don't have time to process it. Yeah. I want to come back and, yeah, there's a couple things that you said to me. I'm not sure how to respond yeah. yet. And so I always tell people, just do, if it's short and you can get it done in, you know, a 15 minutes or less, read the whole thing because yeah. it will help you actually understand this was a letter. Yeah. And letters were meant to be read in one sitting. And so even while I, I'm an, I, I love that as pastors, we, we can preach through books of the Bible and we, you know, we're going to only do verses two and four. That's great. But sometimes I wonder if that doesn't send the, uh, the opposite message versus sometimes our sermons need to be, I'm just going to do a whole sermon on the book of Colossians. Yeah. Because that's the intent. Yeah. And then go back and do a deep dive. So I always tell people, and this is this has been a practice of mine, you know, just to kind of mix things up. Um, I will camp out in a New Testament book. I'll do, sometimes I'll just say, I'm going to read all of Colossians every day for a week. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to go back, and then I'm going to start just doing the slow, devotional, yeah. one verse at a time. But it helps me because now I understand it. I kind of yeah. know, I know the arguments. I kind of know the why I've done that. Yeah. Then it helps me to make sure that what I'm meditating on is actually accurate versus I, I, it protects me from taking verses and applying them in ways that are not only not helpful, it's just not true. Yeah. Um, and sometimes a read through will give you that. Yeah. So I always tell people when you're approaching shorter New Testament books where you can do that, I would recommend just do a couple run-throughs. Yeah. Well, you, you said, I mean, just it gives context to what you're reading. Yep. And the other thing you said that I thought was great, right, was as you're reading through, you know, if you read through the whole thing, just like you would an email, well, wait a minute, this section actually doesn't make sense. And so mm. then you go back and maybe you reread that again and, and try to get clarity. But if you don't get the clarity, well, now go back and talk to somebody who can help you with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, and this is what I think oftentimes we we miss and lose is, again, being being believers means that we are in community together, working with one another on these things. Yeah. You know, and a few weeks ago, Greg preached on the idea of how there there are kind of three categories that we can base everyone in the church and they have varying levels of awareness of of who they are and how to interact with people right and and you typically get the super intelligent theological person uh and and in that case they might be a little low on on feelings and empathy Mm -hmm. but then you might get the person who's super high on their feelings and empathy but just you know they're lower in their theological prowess and knowledge you know and then you get the people who you know just they they love devoting their time to service and just Mm -hmm honoring people and helping people. And so knowing that there are strengths and weaknesses in the church, 
allows us to be able to say, you know what, let's gather together in yeah. our small groups or one-on-one over a cup of coffee or whatever mm-hmm. and talk through this. Yeah, and, and that's just so important, not only when we're going through a book like this, but when we're going through anything in Scripture. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that what you just said, because I think early on being a pastor, I was just naive. I was also, I was taught by some really good scholarly people. So I just assumed that if I was going to be effective as a pastor, the church would have people eventually like that. Yeah. And that's just not true, because yeah. I'm just convinced there are, there are people that, based on their temperament, how they're wired, some people process arguments and they think it, and they, you know, they, they think in terms of what the assumptions of a text are and all that. Others yeah. just they do not, yeah. and I don't care how much you work with them, it's just probably not going to be a strength. Yeah. But I love how you said it doesn't mean they can't come around and be growing together. Yeah. And that's where, whether it's a small group or a Sunday, the benefit of reading Scripture and processing together helps everybody to grow. Yeah. Because the, the more doers will be processing through their doing. Yeah through their actions, which is great. Uh, And the thinkers are going to help the doers say, that's awesome that you're doing, but do you know why you're doing it? Yeah, yeah. And is it rooted in the right reason? And just together, you have great conversations, and I think it that's how, I mean, we're, what does Jesus, what does Paul say? That we're connected to a head. Yeah. Christ is the head of the body. And so it's important that just not only are we connected to Christ, but it also means we're connected to each other. Yes. Which means the the diversity and the differences and the different temperaments are designed for a reason. Yeah. No, that's that's great. We we were talking about uh and you mentioned this earlier, right, that that there are some issues that face the churches. Hmm. But really issues have plagued humanity since the beginning of time. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I find yeah. it interesting that, um, you know, and we see, we see these patterns time and time again throughout history, right? That, that God's chosen people, he always comes around and always prizes and, and possesses them mm-hmm. and takes them for himself, regardless of their condition. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, the only thing that separates Israel from Egypt mm-hmm. is Israel was chosen by God. Yep. And I think that would be good to kind of dwell on for a little bit, because really that's kind of the heart of some of the things that we're seeing in making Christ our headline story, mm. is, is it's not about us in our fallen, frail humanity. It's about Christ and the work that he's done. And that doesn't just happen in Matthew when he hits the scenes. That's been happening all throughout uh, the Old Testament. And so I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that thread and theme because I think sometimes we can read the Old Testament and look at it as a j- disjointed story from the rest of Scripture Yeah. Um, instead of understanding that there's a point to the things that we're seeing. And so talk to us a little bit about the theme of what we see in humanity in the Old Testament and how that bridges into mm. the New. Well, you you know, sometimes I think, especially in the Reformed camp of the Church, and I know there, there are people in that camp that listen to this podcast, um, I think we unintentionally can start 
the story of the Bible almost with human depravity mm-hmm. um, and miss that, um, well, first it starts with God, but it almost seems like we go to God and then we go to human depravity, and we, we miss that, no, it's God, but then it's these amazing, beautiful human beings yeah. that reflect his image perfectly. Yeah. Um, and I know it, based on the read of Genesis, it goes fast, right. so we don't know how long that was, but we know. <laughs> so maybe that's why we go so quickly. But the, the, the scriptures help us to see that when we first think about being a human, I, I sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, the doctrine of sin makes the pendulum go so quickly and so fast to when you think of a human being, you think of they're messed up. Yeah. Instead of, no, God made them amazing. Yeah. There's so much to go, that's incredible, yeah. the way the brain works and, and, and the fact that people innovate and they create, but why? Well, because they were made in the image of, of a creator who yeah. innovates. You know, he, he, he doesn't just make stuff. He comes up with the idea of let's have a sun. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, we can use that to light and to warm up the planet. I mean, just amazing. Um, but it doesn't stay there very long. Yeah. And so clearly then the, the storyline goes that we rebel against this perfect God um, we believe lies. We believe the lie of the enemy, and we continue to do that. And so, yeah, much of the storyline is the fallenness, the brokenness, human depravity. Just, I mean, in the Old Testament, you really see human depravity. Yeah. Um, you see it outside of Israel, and you see it in the camp of Israel. Right. Um, and yet, you see the lead story um, continues and it unfolds. Um, not just because the story went wrong, it it was the plan that God had all along. Yeah, and so I love that the storyline of the Bible is not "Oops, things went bad. We didn't see this coming." Hey, Jesus, Son, what do you think right. about? But before the foundation of the world, this was Plan A, and nothing yeah. took God by surprise. And uh, I know that raises all kinds of questions, and there's mystery there, and we right. don't need to go there, but. Um, yeah, this this was God's design, right? Um, and the design is not in any way to endorse any evil, but it was His design and what He ordained to see Christ be exalted in a way that we wouldn't know how glorious God is and His grace is if there was not a fall. Yeah, and we see that with the angels, right? I mean, we're told the angels, the angels long for the mystery of yeah. what salvation is. Like yeah. they peer into this and, yeah. and they're baffled by it. Like we are privy to something that angels are confused about. Yep, and and that should blow our minds away and should show what you talked about earlier, just how loved by the Creator we are. And the love, as you said, it is God's love for us is a choice. He has chosen to love us because he has chosen to love us, yeah. rooted in his character, yeah. who he is, what he wants to do. And it, you know, I always kind of, I'm, when people talk about the unconditional love of God, I always say, well, yes and no, there are definitely conditions. Right. Uh, but it is unconditional in the sense of God meets all the conditions in Christ. Yeah. Everything that would separate us and rightfully cause us to, to face judgment and justice, which would be good of God to do, 
Um, God in Christ says, no, even in my love, I will cover that yeah. and not compromise my justice at all. Yeah. And we, we see that dating, you know, back to Abraham when he makes that covenant with Abraham, right? I mean, I don't know how many people actually sit down and thoroughly think about that. Mm. You know, as you talked about, we just kind of sometimes read through and, and you know, reading through is important, but if we don't take time to process what's going on, mm-hmm. then we're going to miss so much, right? And, and where God makes the sacrifice and basically puts Abraham on the sidelines. Yep and walks through that whole entire covenant. He's basically telling Abraham, okay, here's your part and here's my part, but guess what? I'm going to do both parts. Yep. And uh, it's just, it's so amazing, you know, that God's telling him, my will will be accomplished. And there's so much symbolism there too, that mm. if, the, if, if this part of the covenant gets broken, mm. the penalty for that is death, but I'm willing to bear the weight of that if that gets broken. And we know it's going to get broken. We know that the penalty is going to be death. Yeah, and every... I always tell people, when you when you read the Old Testament, because they'll say, it's, it's so violent, it's so graphic, it's... I'm like, well, it is, because these are images that help us to see a reality that ultimately is going to find its true... Uh, climax in the person of Christ and yeah. the finished work of Christ. And so you get these these images, these shadows that are being fleshed out, and yet the ultimate is going to come. Yeah. 4K TV is on its right. way, and you're watching black and white. Right. Um, and it changes everything. But it's not like redemption is not present uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. But those promises are there, yeah. and they're being worked out, and they're being fulfilled. Uh, it's just they're not going to be completely fulfilled until the one who's been promised comes and does what God said he would do all the way back in the garden Yeah, when he says, there is one who will be a serpent crusher, right. yep. and uh, he's going he's gonna to crush your head. Yep. And, I mean, there's, there's Genesis 3.15 is, is your first glimpse of the gospel being preached. Proto-evangelium. Yeah, there you go. I'm <laughs> First ready to, I'm about ready to do an interpretation of tongues on that one. That was good, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that's great that we see throughout the Old Testament as well is, is really when we look at Colossians or, or, you know, again, talking about Paul or any of the letters that we see these these commendations and these reaffirmations that you are God's chosen people. Mm. And so regardless of where we need to course correct, regardless of what we need to do, you are God's chosen people. And this is this is what God reaffirms to his people all throughout the Old Testament as well, right? We see that where God tells them, I will be your God, you will be my people. Um, I am slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You know, him showing his people who he is and reassuring them that the the discipline you talked about God as a father last week, mm. um, you know, and God, God doesn't punish his children, but he disciplines them. Mm-hmm. And that, that root for di- discipline is really discipleship. God yeah. is looking to correct his people so that they can ultimately be the best versions of who he's created them to be. But that's not a pretty... Right, this is not a Joel Osteen process where, you know, you just, Mr. Smiley, go out, get all the money and and fame and wealth that you can get to Mm -hmm. be as happy as you can be. It's, 
No, we were created for a purpose and a dynamic reason, and God is going to come literally hell or high water. He's going to form us and make us into that if we are if we are called children of God, if we are his children. And and we see that throughout the Old Testament all the time, right? And so even those those moments where uh, you mentioned before we started podcasting, right? Moses, mm. you know, and there are times where we just scratch our head and we're like, really, God? Like, I, you know, I, I know you, you're, you're just and you're perfect and you're righteous and you're holy, but come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, I, I often do read the Bible with, with the leadership hat on. And so I, yeah, I'm sympathetic to, to those guys because I'm like, man, that's a hard gig you, he's got going on there. These guys are like, I mean, he's up getting the law and, you know, they think he's dead and he comes down and what are they doing? Aaron's leading him in worshiping an idol, which is always fascinating because if, you, if, you, if you're so convinced that God is so severe that Moses has probably been taken out by you, you'd think that. The, that fear would produce you not worshiping another god, but I don't know. Maybe I'm so I don't know. Sometimes I read the scriptures and I chuckle because I just see real life. Yeah, it's it's this isn't just like yeah, different time period, different mm-hmm. culture. Cer- certainly want to make sure we understand what was going on historically, so we mm-hmm. we understand and get the accurate interpretation. Yeah, but people are people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, different different time, different age, different background, and yet you still are dealing with the hearts of men and women yeah. that are so prone to wonder, which is why I think Paul regularly, and I, I didn't cover this in the message on Sunday, always difficult to know where to, where to cut a text off when you're kind of walking through something. I stopped it at verse 20 in Colossians 1, which says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. But the very next statement, which which is classic Paul, which gives more nuance to everything, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. So he's always going to remind them this incredible Christ who's come and he's the head of the church. You you do know what he rescued you from. Mm-hmm. This this is who you once were apart from him, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then he then he then you can tell this is where he's going. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, which I think is his subtle way of saying, the message that Epaphras brought to you, which he got from me, that is the message. Don't leave it. Yeah. That's... That is your confidence right there. Yeah. And I know there's other voices that are trying to get you to have a different headline in your life. Don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there. And that's and that's the reality of where humanity, the tension that humanity lives in for all time. And and really until Christ comes back, 
I'm convinced that's the tension that we will live in until until then. Because, again, you see it in the Old Testament, and this is God trying to bring his people back to him constantly because they're walking away from him, which is why he tells them over and over again, set up this stone as a monument yeah. to remember. Mm-hmm. Set up this as a monument to remember. Build the temple so that I will come and dwell among you. Build the tabernacle. I will come and dwell among you. Know, all these things, and, and even... With the presence of God fully there, mm. the people are still wandering from the truth of who he is and what he wants to do with them and for them. And so, you know, why would it surprise us that moving into the New Testament that that's the same issue that the people are facing? Christ has come, Emmanuel, God with us. Here he is. Yep, that, that was great for the time that he was here, but now he's gone, so now what do we do? Well, we need to remember. We need to be brought back to the truth constantly. And I think the reason that we so easily move away from Jesus being our lead story is I think we think of Jesus, we think of the, the person and finished work of Christ, the gospel, yeah. the matter that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 is the matter of first importance. But I think, unfortunately, the way a lot of us more modern-day evangelicals We've grown up hearing about the gospel as if it was a presentation. Yeah. Here's your four points. Right. Here's your four laws. Here's your four... And again, I'm not knocking any of that. Sure. It's, we need to understand how to present the storyline of... But the gospel doesn't function in the way I see when I read the New Testament. It's more than just get these facts. It includes these facts. Right. We can't ever move away from those facts. But those truths actually are the message. So you end up having this this tension where the gospel is what gets me saved, and then what else have you got for me? Because I've mastered the gospel. And I always want to tell people, if, if if you're getting bored with the gospel or you think you've mastered it, you don't know it. Right. Because the gospel is the whole unfolding of God's story of redemption in the person of Christ. And it takes an entire Bible, 66 books, to, to right. help us see it. Right. And you're saying, got it, what else you got? And I think that's where that's where the, the temptation obviously was coming in to the Church of Colossae, yeah. other teachers coming in, saying, dazzling them with some new revelations, right. some new, you know, Jesus, eh, you know. And I think, wow, when we lose, it's... It's simple, and yet it's a life. I think it's going to be of an eternity of saying, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain." Yeah. And if that's so central for all of eternity, yeah. Wow. So I, I, to me, the gospel. One of the one of the ways I do use as a kind of a checks and balances. If I'm not childlike in my wonder and excitement about Jesus and the good news of what He's done for me, then that's that's usually like the the, the sirens going off. Yeah. You're not. Something's not right. Yeah. Something else has captivated you. Yeah. You're getting your joy in something else, which means you got a new headline. Yeah. And it might be Jesus still on the front page, but he's not the lead story anymore. Yeah. And so what we're trying to build in to our people here at CFC through this series of called Imprint is value number one is Jesus is our lead story. That's for all of creation. That's over the church. Yeah. And it helps guide us to know what we're what rabbit trails we're going to go down and yeah. how we're going to go down them. Yeah, and and that's what again you know when we look at that that's what we see coming down to today, right? Is uh, you know churches 
uh, trying to up their their wow factor. You know, mm. I remember years ago when I was teaching Bible, uh, one of the things that um, that I had was students had to take sermon notes. And obviously not all my students went to church, so they had online sermons that they could do, and there were approved and unapproved. Okay. And uh, one of the unapproved, uh, one of the students asked, could I do, I think it, it was like, last name was like Shook or something like that. I forget first name, but basically like a circus parading out on the stage ahead of him. Like I kid you not, animals coming out and jugglers and all this stuff. And this was the beginning Wait a of you church. Have, you have a problem with that? Yeah. <laughs> you should see Sunday. We got some, we got kangaroos, it's got chimpanzees. It's going to be amazing. I'm just saying, let's sneak preview. You got to be in the room for it, though. See, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but, but it comes down to it. Well, well, what's the point of this? I mean, because this isn't like, you know, do I have a problem with a church? you know, doing a service and being like, hey, we're going to host like a circus afterwards or whatever, you know. No, I have no problem with that. The thing is, this is an every Sunday thing just to kind of wow and dazzle you. And when it comes to, well, what are you actually preaching in your message? Mm -hmm. And I think this is the crux of it, is that there's nothing there. There's no substance to the, the message, right? The gospel is not being presented because you're well i mean what you win people with you win them too Mm -hmm. and so if it's going to be the parade of the animals then you know you're going to go down that path then what he got the following week because you're going to have to keep topping it we know that in the entertainment industry you know you do an amazing show and the next tour i got a high standard you better bring it so what else what are you going to do different because if you if it looks too much like what I saw two years ago. Right. Eh. But we, I mean, in what we see in the Bible and what we see in Colossians is we we have the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. By him, all things are created through him and for him. If, if we can't communicate that in a way that grips people, even people outside the faith, to say, I know you don't believe this, but wouldn't you want this to be true? If there really was a God described like this, with this kind of supremacy and glory, and he made you, which means he knows you intimately, and he made you for you to know him, if that was real, wouldn't you want it to be true? Yeah. My goodness, if we can't make that communicate hope in a winsome way to people outside the faith and for those that are in the faith to build them up so that they don't keep chasing other headlines yeah. with their lives, then my goodness, I would just say, pack it up and go home. Yeah. You know, don't, don't do the church thing. My yeah. goodness. I, what What's so fascinating to me is, you know, we, we live in, we live in an age where, you know, we, we love a good superhero movie, mm. right? We, we love that yeah. character that stands above, you know, above it all. Um, you know, is is more righteous than the next person is is stronger than you know the next person you know can can beat back the enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, h- how much greater do we see in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit? This you know these three persons in one beating back the most evil that we can imagine, yeah. not only outside, but but within us as well, can touch us to the very point where it drives the evil from within us 
away mm. and, and totally transforms and changes us into his image. Yep. Um, and so it's just, it, it's, it's fascinating to just think about, you know, the stories that we love and captivate us. This is it in truth, in true form. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, the things that are always going to pull us away from it, well, what it comes down to is it, it's always going to be me, myself, and I that's going to be pulled and drawn away because, uh, you know, as we know, Satan, you know, he wanted to ascend and be God, right? That's what mm. that's what pulls us away. Well, wait a minute. I want to be the hero of my own story. But coming back to the fact that I can't but I was still created with purpose and I was still created for a purpose. And that even in those moments where I, where I pull away, God is going to continuously pull me back to himself. Um, this is, this is the story that we can't get away from and that will always just bind and captivate our hearts. And to me, this is, again, when we start talking about, you know, looking at, struggles within the church, mm. particularly when we look at struggles within the modern church, it shouldn't surprise us um, as leaders when we see, you know, people being pulled away, right? The, the flashiest thing coming out, pulling us away, our hearts being pulled away, wanting to, you know, go in that direction. But what do we see Paul doing? Just coming back alongside as God did in the Old Testament and bringing his people back to himself. Let me remind you of who God is. Let me remind you of what he's done, and let me remind you of what your response to that was and why it should continue to be that. And, and these things that we see, they, they cut through bringing such clarity where there's confusion. And I, I think about all the stresses that we, we, we face today, the uncertainty, especially when I interact with young people. Um, I mean, mental health issues are just, we know they're off the charts oh, yeah. and they're real. Yeah. Um, so I'm not making light of any of them. Right. And um, there's obviously lots of factors that play into where we're complex people. But when you have, when, when you're at a place where you don't know things about your meaning in life, where, why are you here? Yeah. What's going to happen when you die? And your only category for that is, yeah, I heard about religion says stuff, but that's not the real world. And I read what Paul says, and I'm like, this is so relevant to where people live life. Yeah. Because this tells me there's someone greater and bigger than me that I can trust because I've been burned by so many people. Yeah. But I won't be burned by him because yeah. he's perfect and he knows me. He actually created me, which means if you think about every season, not just the season a church goes through, but the seasons that people go through. Yeah. The hope that it gives that if there's somebody that's holding the universe together by the power of his word, as Hebrews says, yeah. that means he must be holding me together, like right. both physically and literally, but also figuratively in my life, like yeah. every area of my life, he's not just watching from a distance, he's actively involved. So I lose a job, I get the cancer scare, yeah. or maybe it's not a scare, it's the real thing. Yeah. I'm facing, will I die early? I'm facing 
a loved one. Right. I mean, this is real life that all of us, and I guarantee everybody listening right now on this podcast can probably think of real situations. Yeah. And Jesus says, if I really am who I say I am, you can trust me. Yeah. And I, if you join your story, which is so small, yeah. to my story, which is massive and eternal, yeah. my goodness, does that not change your perspective? Yeah. And even if I choose not in this moment to change your current circumstances, uh, I will change you. Yeah. And you have the, the guaranteed promise, because I'm the firstborn, I'm preeminent, that not only can you look forward to an eternity where you are freed from these things, but all the losses you've had will be restored. Yeah. And I'm thinking, show me a story, show me a headline yeah. that promises that. Right. There is no other. I mean, yeah. there just is no other headline like that. And I know a skeptic would say, well, that's a fairy tale. Well, And all I just would want a skeptic to say is, just study the fairy tale long enough and ask, why does it resonate so deeply and yeah. you want it to be true? Yeah. Because let that drive you to the possibility. Yeah. Does it resonate so deeply within your conscience? Because God has written that so deeply already on the hearts of all humanity when yeah. he created you in his image. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. This is essentially the argument that J.R. Tolkien uses to persuade C.S. Lewis to come to Christ, uh, yes. because Lewis was an avid reader of mythology and loved mythology, and so Lewis or Tolkien breaks it down for Lewis and is like, look at all of of the the flaws within the myths, mm. right? The, these are things that we know so clearly are written by humans because they're so imperfect and they so relate to us, but then look at the true myth, look mm. at Scripture, look at Christ. There's something so completely wanted yet unrelatable to this story that's written that it couldn't have been given to us by someone else. Because who in, in their wildest dreams, looking at the reality of everything we see and observe, can write a story of such selfless sacrifice where, where at the end of the day, Christ you know, ultimately doesn't receive justice for what's happened to him. Right, I mean the the perfect one, the holy one of God, is is died and is slain on our behalf, and he never receives that justice on his behalf. Now, one day he will, but that hasn't happened yet. He he his purpose for why he's here, and so Tolkien challenges Lewis to just examine this and see it because your heart wants it to be true. And later, Lewis goes on to write something similar in 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 an analogy where he where he talks about you know this thing called hunger exists. Mm. And so we have food that's able to satisfy our hunger. This thing called thirsts exists. And so we have this thing called water to satisfy our thirst. This thing that we long for in terms of hope. Mm. It, so there must be something that exists to satisfy it because everything else that we see in the world leads and points to all of these needs and longings that we have are ultimately able to be fulfilled. And so why why wouldn't this also be there and be real for us? And and, and Jesus literally uses those types of word pictures, living water, bread of life, yeah. to tap into this is what it means to be human yeah. because I made you. Yeah. And I know how you're wired. And you were made for me. Yeah. 
And until you find that, until you discover that, which is something I'm going to have to disclose to you because you're never going to get it on your right. own, <laughs> right. um, you know, then you're going to be miserable and you're just going to be chasing the latest, greatest lead story of your yeah. life. And it's, you know, you'll, you'll get temporary satisfaction, right. but at the end of the day, um, it won't be lasting. It won't yeah. be eternal, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, we have just a couple minutes left. Um, and so uh, we won't actually get a chance to uh, visit and uh, talk about what your sermon's going to be next week because uh, Greg's going to be back. We're starting in July. And so July, we're hitting the fourth and talking about some things there. Mm-hmm. But um, Matt, just uh, real quick, um, give us a preview of what you're going to be delving into next week. So Jesus was our lead story this week, and mm-hmm. then next week, where are you going to be taking so us? So we're going we're, we're gonna to camp out again on Jesus being our lead story, but we're going to, now that we've kind of established what we mean by that, now we're going to turn the corner, as Colossians does, and go to chapter 4 and ask the, kind of the question, how... And hopefully between now and the sermon, I'll phrase this much better than I'm going to do right now because it's not fleshed out yet. <laughs> but basically, how can I lead my life with a lead story mm. for a watching world? Nice. Uh, because at the end of the day, if I'm going to make much of Christ, then the people that are closest to me, which is going to include both Christians and non-Christians, uh, hopefully we have everybody in our lives, they're going to know that Jesus is our lead story. I mean, if he really is our lead story, uh, people should know that. Right. And the question is, how do we help them understand what that means by the way we respond? Um, How do we relate in an increasingly non-Christian culture um, and think differently about that so that it's not about, am I going to compromise? It's about how can I be most effective in pointing people to Jesus in the midst of a lot of crazy stuff yeah. and kind of knowing where to go with some of those things. So I think what Paul gives the, his instruction in chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through, I think it's 6, um, is just some practical wisdom, um, which is kind of how the book starts to wrap up. So that, that'll keep us in Colossians for another week, keep us focusing on Jesus as our lead story, but we're going to turn it um, as we think about what does it mean to carry this lead story into the world. Nice, nice. And, and you can go back and listen to our uh, series. Greg and I have talked about this before. Matt, we had you on talking about thinking missional yep. within our yep. societal context. And so there'll be some crossover yep, with, with that. So yep, absolutely. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for, for taking time. I know it's been a crazy past couple of weeks for you. Greg's been away doing his uh, MFA stuff yep. and then, uh, you know, trying to get in a little bit of vacation time before uh, the summer hits in full. So thank you so much. And, uh, As they say in Chick-fil-A, my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we say here, until the next time, we just rock the Casbah. Thank you again for listening to These Go to 11, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Once again, please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you ever find yourself in the Forest Hill, Maryland area, please feel free to stop by at 135 Industry Lane, and you can get all of our service times and information at ChristFC.org. These go to 11.